The experience of having been in Gary's band at age 18 and 19 when, we, when I first started playing with him was just kind of without question the major formative experience that uh, I had as, as a, a young musician and more than that a, a dream come true for me. I mean that band was my favorite band. I've said it so many times and it's really true. I mean getting to join Gary's band for me was sort of like if I got a call from John Lennon to join the Beatles or something. That was that was my favorite band. Uh, everything that they had done from uh, you know 67, 68 on uh, when Gary started the group was something I kept very close tabs on and followed very closely. The whole conception of that band, I mean the way that it was so far ahead of the curve in jazz in terms of the way people were addressing the culture at large in a really fresh new context. Um, you know, it was a band that could go from really dealing with the most detailed version of harmony to just kind of flat out rocking and that really had not happened before. And it, you know, there's also even some fairly major historical problems in terms of the way that period is viewed in my opinion I mean the whole idea that everything sort of started with bitches brew you know in this area of sort of using electric instruments and so forth is just so wrong I mean it, it, it had been well underway for uh, you know several years before that and to me Gary's band was like way out in, in front of, of whatever trends that followed and at the same time, there's a bunch of things about what they were doing that still are relatively untapped, particularly the way that classical music and classical harmony, um, you know, that had, had really kind of been, you know, offered through the Bill Evans school of playing and, and you know, a, a real sort of impressionist, French-influenced kind of harmony filtered through uh, the, the jazz rhythmic prism. Gary and, and Swallow kind of pushed that a little bit further, and Gary was doing some very interesting stuff, even overtly referencing Ravel, the record Country Roads and Other Places, which was you know four or five records in in the, the Gary Burton Quartet trajectory. I mean, he actually plays a Ravel piece and improvises on it. I mean, which there's you know, kind of no other example I can think of of somebody being that overt about referencing that language harmonically. But that was also in every other thing they did. For me as a young player, that was just incredibly exciting to see the way all of those things were being reconciled. So, you know, when when things kind of happened that, uh, that I got the chance to join that band, um, it was just an unbelievable experience for me. People have often asked me about how Gary and I first met. You know, for me that was probably one of the most significant days in my life, so I remember every detail of it like it was yesterday. When I was 18, I had barely graduated from high school, but I, I did get out and 
by that time had played for several years around Kansas City in the Midwest and had a long history with the Wichita Jazz Festival, which was um, one of the major festivals out there. And by that time, I had left Kansas City and moved to Miami, where I became a teacher at the University of Miami, teaching jazz guitar and improvisation. And I got a call to come back and play on the Wichita Jazz Festival one more time, which was a little difficult for me because it was right in the middle of the school year when I was teaching. And they said, well, you know, one other thing is that Gary Burton is going to be there. He's traveling by himself and he's going to play with some local players. Uh, in a big band situation and they knew that I was a big Gary Burton fan and in fact I had played there the year prior to that with sort of the only vibes player in the Missouri Kansas area a guy named Rich Margolis so um, and we played a bunch of Gary's music and everybody knew I was a Gary fan I always was playing his tunes and everything and so uh, having that relationship with the Wichita Festival I think they thought that that would maybe entice me to make the trip back and be one of the performers that day and uh, get get to hear and maybe even meet Gary so I said sure I'll do it I accepted the gig I took a bus ride from Miami to Wichita got there and rehearsed with the rhythm section that I had played with a couple times to get ready for my set and I, and the the three acts that were on that day were were me Gene Harris who was a great piano player and the three sounds and then Gary playing with this big band so when I got there the guy who was the director of the big band is a guy named JC Combs who's quite respected in the uh, jazz community and he said you know we were thinking maybe you'd want to play this set with us because we don't have a guitar player or something like that I was like sure that would be great so you know they showed me the charts that Gary had sent and there were even one or two tunes in there that I knew of Gary's um, and of course this was thrilling for me so you know it's the day of the the rehearsal and I had just performed or you know done the rehearsal with my band and we were still kind of finishing up our tune when Gary walked in to set up his vibes and we were familiar as a band with a tune of Gary's called Walter L which is still one of my favorite tunes ever it's an incredible look at the blues and I think we launched into Walter L and Gary that caught his attention and as he was setting up his vibes I could see him kind of like not exactly looking over at us but kind of you know then he set up his vibes and he kind of started playing along you know just very like just to make sure the vibes worked and you know kind of played in the same key we were in and all that then JC comes cut us off and the band was getting ready for this rehearsal you know everybody was kind of digging that we were playing this tune and it was suggested by JC that we play that as a quartet that night and Gary was like okay and right in there I went over to Gary and said hi I'm you know my name is Pat Matheny I'm this guitar player and you know I've loved your music forever your major reason why I'm a musician and you know that I think you know and the fact that I knew one of his relatively obscure tunes I think he, he made a note of that but I think he probably thought that I was just like the guitar player in this local big band or whatever as opposed to you know whatever my thing was that I just come from Miami and all that stuff and I think it was explained to him a little bit later that I was you know somebody who had this history at the festival and they said that I might be somebody he would want to check out my set because it was going to be before his and I and I went up to him and said you know the same thing he very graciously 
came to hear us play. He heard like the last two or three tunes that we played in our set. And then of course I got to play with him. We did Walter L that night and I think we did something else as a quartet. It was just unbelievable for me to, to get the chance to do that. And then after the concert we had the chance to talk for several hours and, and I got to ask Gary sort of every question I ever wanted to ask him and he also took enough of an interest in my thing from having heard me play that little bit that he gave me some unbelievable advice. Then as it happened, just kind of coincidentally, I was asked to teach at a couple band camps a few months later. That was April of 73. In June, late June, there was a band camp in Portland, near Portland, Oregon, and Gary was on that camp and I was asked to teach there. So I got to see him again, and I think his reaction was sort of like, oh, you again, you're the guy from out in Kansas, right? So uh, we played a lot that week. We got to play three different times, and uh, we did a quartet concert at the end of that week. And in fact, you know, that was really, to me, the first time that I felt like I really got to play with Gary, because the other time was sort of weird in the middle of this other thing, and I was so freaked, I don't even know what I played. But that week, and then there was another week in Illinois after that, that uh, I, I felt like I got to know Gary a little bit. And he also, I think, became familiar with my thing as a teacher a little bit and suggested that I not be living in Miami or not in Missouri, certainly, and uh, that, you know, the trajectory for me was to move to somewhere in the East Coast. And he suggested that maybe I might be interested in teaching at Berkeley since I was already teaching at Miami. And his role at Berkeley was increasing dramatically around that period. So he invited me to fly to Boston, which I did. He introduced me to Bob Scher and Bill Levitt, who were the administrators of the guitar department, and proposed that I start the following January, January of 74, teaching at Berkeley, which I, of course, accepted and was thrilled about. And uh, I then moved to Boston in January of 74 and started playing gigs around town a lot and got to know a lot of the, the best players and also was able to play with Gary a lot more. And I think at that point he sort of had his eye on me as maybe a, a candidate to join his band. And he also suggested around that time that he had started an association with ECM, a new label at the time, and thought that uh, he might be interested in presenting my thing to, to Manfred Eicher as somebody who might do a record at some point. And, of course, that was really thrilling, too. So, as it happened, um, by May of 74, I'd been there for about four or five months, Gary made the decision to expand the group to a quintet um, Mick Goodrick and I had been playing a lot. Mick was the guitar player in the band at the time, and he and I had a, a really good rapport as players, and I think Gary had been thinking about sort of expanding the group anyway, you know, to get a different, bigger sound, and with the idea of me playing 12-string, Mick playing 6-string, it seemed to make sense to have two guitars, and, you know, that moment of getting to join that band was probably the most exciting thing that has ever happened to me, even now. I mean, I'll never forget the day I was asked to be in that band. It was probably the best day of my life to them. I've played with a lot of guitar players during my career. It seems to be a 
a combination of instruments that works well for me. So I'm proud to say that almost all the major guitar players in jazz from my generation have been in my band at one time or another or done records with me. And each is a little bit unique, but Pat in particular stands out for me because he developed such a unique style, all his own, both as a player and as a composer. I love playing his songs. They're, they're fun to play. They're the kind of songs that I can play over and over for years, and they're still interesting and still provide uh, inspiration when I play them. And over the years, I've watched Pat continue to grow as an artist, both in the way he records and the way he performs for live audiences. And uh, he's, in fact, become a real inspiration for me. I learn things from him almost every time we do a tour together or do a record project. I find myself uh, noticing something new I hadn't thought of before or a new way to think about something I hope I've been an inspiration to him in some respects, and I know he certainly has been for me. The three years that I spent in Gary's band gave me so much information and so many opportunities to learn on so many different levels. And uh, Gary himself was uh, an incredible role model for me, not only musically, but just the way he was very open about how the whole thing worked on just... Uh, of a fundamental level, like how you get from place to place, how do you get paid, how do you pay the hotel bills, all, all those kinds of things, you know, I was able to kind of observe firsthand. And yet, at the same time, my musical uh, development in, in that period of time, I think, under the tutelage of Gary and, and also Steve Swallow and Mick Goodrick and Bob Moses, the other guys who were in the group. I mean, I feel like I can still trace so many things to the experience of, uh, that I gained from those three years of playing in Gary's band. And Gary himself was a, a, an incredible teacher for me in the sense that he was very picky, very specific about what he wanted, what he needed to hear and extremely critical in, in a way that, uh, you know, there, there's no substitute for. And it was particularly useful for me that he would give me lots of comments about things I was doing and things that he wished were better and, and were achieving more what he wanted, and then was able to, like, go back out on the bandstand and sort of demonstrate it beyond belief. and. Uh, you know, it was just uh, an amazing opportunity for me. And also, I loved the music. I loved playing with Gary and, and, and Steve and, and the band. And the basic f format of that band, the, the idea of having two polyphonic instruments as kind of frontline instruments that were able to comp for each other, and also just the blend of the guitar and the vibes. I mean, you know, even now, I love everything about it, but just getting to play the heads and to play the melodies with the guitar and vibe sound, it just knocks me out. I think it's just such a great blend. And of course, Gary also always had great tunes by great composers. And, um, you know, it was an endlessly inspiring and, and worthwhile area of interest and research and, and fun for me to play in that band. And, you know, the, the basic thing of a quartet with Swallow and Gary and, and a great drummer has never left sort of the 
the frontier of my interests. The Gary Burton Quartet Revisited project was actually suggested by Pat Matheny. Pat was scheduled to play a concert at the Montreal Jazz Festival, and uh, he got the idea to reunite our old quartet and play some of the music from that era, the era when he was in the band and was starting his own career. And so we called up Steve Swallow, and he was available. We uh, discussed the choice of drummer for a while and uh, actually decided to use Antonio Sanchez, who was not a member of the original quartet, but uh, was a perfect choice, musically speaking, and was playing with Pat currently. So uh, that was how we ended up with the exact lineup of musicians. And the original plan was just to do one concert, just for the fun of it, at the Montreal Jazz Festival. And uh, in fact, it was a lot of fun. We did one quick rehearsal and played the songs. And as we came off the stage, it was clear to me that something kind of unique had happened. It wasn't just a revival of the old tunes and a few laughs on stage, but in fact uh, represented uh, a lot of uh, strong music that was going on. And so immediately we started talking backstage about the idea of doing some touring and making a record. And here we are several years later and doing our third tour and the record is finally coming out. Someone asked me, you know, how is it different now to play this same music with these same musicians? You know, is it just like going back and doing it over again or what? And frankly, that's what I expected when we did the first concert. It was meant to just be a one-time thing. And I thought it'd just be fun to play the old songs again and, you know, try it out. I didn't really expect uh anything new to emerge but in fact it did that was the first thing we noticed was we had all grown and matured so when we played the songs again even though it was the older material we did it differently and a lot of subtle changes were suddenly evident uh, the way we soloed on them the the way the the band played together and worked as an ensemble and that was what inspired us to keep on playing, to do some touring and to put out a record. And, and it has continued, you know, right up to the present. Even every time we get together and do some more concerts, uh, we are very aware of the fact that this is a new, fresh experience. You know, if you put them side by side, some of the arrangements will sound similar, but there's a lot of subtle differences that are going on because we're, frankly, we're different people now. I think the biggest difference between what we're doing on this project and the previous ones is that, weirdly, I think all of us are just 
better musicians now with more stuff to talk about. It's not to say that in, you know, 1970-whatever or 1980-whatever or 1990-whatever, it wasn't happening, but I think that we've all refined our things, you know, and, and also I think that there's a kind of friendship element in all this. I mean, you know, when, when you play with somebody for a few years, you, you know, sometimes you go your separate ways and you don't even really stay in touch much. You know, we've all kind of, I think, grown and, and changed and all that and still look around and we're all sort of still there somewhere in each other's lives, you know. Even if we don't see each other that often, this connection has been, I think, for all of us, a significant one. It's great to appreciate that a little bit further down the line and, and, and sort of savor it, you know, and I think that's a little bit of what's happening here, too. You know, I know for me the, the connection that I have with Stephen Gary is, you know, in the top five connections of, of anything in my life, really, uh, you know, with, with other musicians. I feel so lucky to have had the chance to play with both of them at any point along the way in this uh, go-around. And the fact that we've been able to do it sort of over many years just makes it better. So that to me is the significant thing. I mean, so far at least, we, we really haven't addressed new music at all. That's kind of, That was kind of another element in this, is that it was sort of like, no, let's just play the old tunes. Let's look at them again. Let's, Let's kind of look at that repertoire again, and it does sort of make me at some point think, wow, we should really do this and write some new music and really do a thing, and, and it would be great to do that, because I do feel like, you know, whatever was there is still there, and then some. Certainly one of the most important participants in the Gary Burton bands over the years was bassist Steve Swallow. I first met Steve when we were playing with Stan Getz back in the mid-60s, and then when I started my own band, uh, soon after I got it launched, I was able to convince Steve to uh, leave Getz's group and join the Gary Burton Quartet, and we played together for over 20 years uh, from that time on and made a lot of records and a lot of music over that time frame. And Steve, I always think of him as my, you know, my alter ego, my conscience, my sounding board. I consulted Steve about practically everything during the years I had my early bands, of what songs to play, uh, what musicians to hire, what records to make, all, all this kind of thing. He was, he was the perfect person to talk things over with and get advice from. Uh, he not only wrote a lot of music for the band, played wonderfully, but he seemed to have a great sense of the big picture of what we were trying to do and uh, really helped me in innumerable ways to uh, stay focused. As much as the experience of being in, in Gary's band was incredible for me on so many levels, I could never overstate the impact that being around Steve Swallow had on me. 
Besides the fact that he's one of the greatest bass players in, in jazz history, he's also, to me, one of the, the greatest composers in jazz. And if he had done nothing else but write Falling Grace, that would be true. <laughs> that one tune, to me, sort of revised the possibilities of what harmony can be in, in a jazz composition. And also, that tune has a kind of durability as a piece of music that there's only a few other things that I can think of that compare to in terms of models. I mean, the tune Round Midnight is, is one where it's sort of like just a, it's like indestructible. You know, anybody who plays the right notes and the right chords of Round Midnight is going to sound good. Falling Grace is a little bit like that. If you can kind of deal with the tune, there is so much built into what's there. There's so much gravity, there's so much weight, there's so many angles to the way those, those chords move. There's this sense of infinity to it that the best monk tunes have, that uh, you know some of the great standards have. It's just kind of like you could just play it forever and you could hammer it all day long as an improviser and you'll never ever run up to any walls. It'll just keep going. And um, Steve has a bunch of tunes like that. Uh, Hello Bellinus, which is on the new record, is another one that's like that. It's just like a little dollop of infinity there. And, um, you know, that quality uh, for me, uh, in terms of just being around somebody who's searching for that as a composer, and then Steve was also very generous with his criticism and instruction to me as a young composer um, you know besides the playing part of it he encouraged me to write and to uh, you know work on things and uh, many of the things that he said to me in those early days still stick with me they're they're there all the time and um, then there's just the playing with Steve thing too I mean he's a huge inspiration for me and there are many things about the way that I play that come right from Steve you know, it's like, and there's a bunch of us that feel that way too. I know that uh, John Schofield and I have talked about that too. We both have things where we kind of go, "Yep, that's from Steve." <laughs> yep, that's from Steve. You know, and and he and I both kind of do them in different ways. But this whole sort of kind of like outlining chords in a sort of spread voicing way melodically, Steve really kind of invented that that style and he was even doing it on an acoustic bass years before but on top of all that he's maybe one of the greatest people I've ever known he's just uh, a beautiful beautiful human you know everything about the way he gets through the day always inspired me you know he's he's just somebody who has a, a great outlook on things and finds humor in, in, in things in, in a fantastic way and uh, you know I just love Steve. that we should do this concert in Montreal, the question of who was going to play drums came up. And the obvious guy to play drums would have been Roy Haynes in a way, because Roy kind of invented the style that most of Gary's drummers have built upon. 
and I don't think any of them would would disagree with that. You know, Roy is the source from which many things have come stylistically in, in the drum world. And yet at the same time, Gary's band always sort of had this thing of finding drummers that were out of that school but were somehow of the time. And it was a, 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 an ever-changing group of guys and they always had something in common that may have stemmed from Roy. But they were always very distinct personalities too. Of course, Bob Moses, who was the drummer for a big chunk of the time that I was in the band, is a master musician and an incredible stylist. So as we were thinking of all the possible candidates, it occurred to me that, first of all, Antonio would, would have been a guy that Gary would have very likely hired back in those days, or even now, actually. And my experiences with Antonio have been so overwhelmingly positive musically. He's really one, one of the, the best musicians I've known. And uh, since Antonio kind of came into my life, uh, I, I just feel like the quality of my life has increased so much because he brings so much each night to the bandstand. He's one of the most consistent, reliable performers I've ever known. And I, I kind of wanted to share that with Gary and Steve. I would, you know, I, I remain so excited about Antonio. It, I was like, you know, I'm playing with this guy who would be perfect for us. And Gary didn't hesitate. He was like, well, let's use him. Um, you know, we couldn't really decide which of the earlier guys, you know, Danny Gottlieb also had been in the band and uh, was, you know, a, a fantastic member of that band. And, you know, there were some other guys, Ted Siebes, uh, Harry Blazer, there were, you know, kind of a list of guys who, who might have been candidates. And something about Antonio doing it just kind of resonated with the, with the idea of the project. So, as it happened, I think Antonio's presence kind of freed Gary and Steve and I up in a way. Took it out of it being something from like a reunion sort of thing into something current because Antonio is a very modern player. I, I, I don't know that there would have ever been a drummer like him any time until now. And he just played incredibly well, took it very seriously, studied the music, and um, it just, uh, from note one, we were able to just get right to it. that's notable for me about this recording is that it's really the record I always wanted to make with Gary. Um, you know, we've, we've done a bunch of records together 
and I like all of them. I'm, I'm happy that they're they all exist. But you know, I always felt like, especially early on, I didn't feel like I was able to quite get to my best stuff. And you know, the, the ECM records we did were done very quickly, as as you know, those records should have been done. I mean, you know, those are the kind of records you do very quickly. But you know. I just always felt like I never really got to it with Gary, and and this record I, I do. This is the record I feel like you know I, I'm really able to kind of offer the things that I'm interested in on a platform with Gary's thing, where they both sort of work together in the way that I I always hoped we would get to. And honestly, for me, a big part of that is not even the, the guitar solos; it's the the accompaniment. I mean, for me the one of the great things about that format is the comping opportunities to play behind Gary and to play behind Steve and you know the, the sort of chamber music aspect of what that quartet platform allows with the two polyphonic instruments and, and Steve too, Steve is, is essentially a polyphonic player himself so you know I love the web of it all and yet at the same time just even on a sort of soloing kind of level. I, I felt like this record was one where I was able to kind of, again, offer what all of the other experiences I've had in the in-between years from the early days with Gary till now. Um, you know, I was able to kind of bring that to the table, I think, in a way on this record that I'm, I'm happy with. And You know, it's a, it's a record that I really get a kick out of myself hearing. It's sort of like you know, a, a dream for me to still you know, be playing with Gary and Steve like that. I mean, you know, that to be on a record with them at all was always a, a thrill for me. But a, but a record that I think like this one is a really good record is just fantastic. I'm not really one for you know revivals or reunions or going back into history to uh, try to recapture something that happened in the past. Um, I tend to want to look forward and play with new people and play new songs and so on. But uh, for some reason, this particular project has turned out to be uh, an exception. It is fun to play the music. It's great to get back together again with Steve and with Pat and with Antonio as our new member. And uh, we've had a ball playing the music on tour and making the record. Uh, what started out as a one-time project just for the one jazz festival has now turned into uh, several years of reunion. And uh, it, I guess it's something that we just enjoy doing so much, we're, we just keep on doing it.